professor there from Multnomah School of the Bible and some other people from around the area. And uh, it was really, really a good time to, uh, to rejoice with this uh, group of people and uh, be able to teach God's Word. I want to focus this morning on the family and on children. And when it comes to children, we want them to learn and to grow and to become the kind of children that would bring honor to our name and so family and, and as Christians to the Lord. There's a, a very famous poem, if you will, that uh, was written called A Child Learns. It says, if a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If he lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If he lives with fairness, he learns justice. If he lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. Not sure where that came from. But nevertheless, it's something that is true in many ways. It's no doubt true that the qualities and the attitudes that have come to define the character of our children have been more caught than taught, as they say. From the moment a newborn is placed, and I'll never forget when I, my first child, Amy, was placed in my arms. And I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? But, you know, I wonder what she was thinking. She was looking up, and she was reading, beginning to read everything about me. She studies my eyes. She studied my face. She studied my words, the inflection of my voice. And it's a process that continued throughout her childhood and throughout the childhood of any child. Our children will soon become experts in a subject that I think many of us just assume they weren't experts in, and that is us. They read us like a book, just like we read them like a book, right? It flips around too, friends. They're reading us very carefully. And armed with that knowledge, on our part, it would be certainly wise to follow the admonition above and avoid harsh criticism, hostility, ridicule, and embrace encouragement and praise and security and acceptance as attributes we want to hold up in our family. But while we may be able to fool each other with our words and our actions, you know how we adults can really tweak things by the way we say things and do things in order to make the kind of civility that becomes part of our everyday lives as adults. Children know us too well. So they read between the lines. And they can pinpoint the very attitudes that are behind our words and our actions. So that regardless of really what we're saying or how we're acting, they know what's behind it. 
And they know what those words are either revealing or concealing. What our actions are revealing or concealing. Therefore, this morning, I would like for us as parents and grandparents, at least I hope someday, to consider passing on to our children more than just nice words and good deeds. I would like for us to consider passing on to our children inner attitudes that are more caught than taught. Inner attitudes that once they have been passed on to our children will become a lifelong possession of theirs that will continue to enrich their lives and enable them to enjoy a wealth that is far beyond any wealth this world could ever offer them or that we could ever pass on to them as an inheritance. When it comes to enriching our children's lives, I would like for all of us to consider this morning four attitudes in particular that will forever impact the lives of our children. We might call them the four most important possessions we as parents could pass on to our children. What are they? I'm going to list them for you to begin with. First, our fear of God. Second, our love for God. Third, our heritage from God. And fourth, our gratitude to God. Why these four? Because in the Bible, and especially in the book of Psalms, which is a book that expresses the heart of God, these are the attitudes you find on page after page shaping what is said and done, shaping lives, shaping even homes and families. Therefore, in view of that, we're going to consider what the Psalms, in particular this morning, have to say about these four attitudes, which God's people, and particularly godly parents, should cherish and embrace with all their inner being. Not just pay lip service, but to embrace these things from the depths of our being, that we might pass them on to our children, qualities that will make them truly rich in the things of God. First, let's consider our fear of God. Now, that's not going to be a popular subject today, our fear of God, because basically we want to remove even the word fear from our language. However, if we read carefully what the Bible says, and particularly in the Psalms, Psalm 111, verse 10, that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 34, 11 goes further and it says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord opens the door to wisdom. Obviously, children here is a reference to God's people, that's you and I. But likening God's people to children also implies that this is an attitude that is to be permeating the home, our homes. And it is the first fundamental thing a parent 
is to teach and model before their children the fear of the Lord. Now, when I grew up, we used to talk about God-fearing people. How many still remember that phrase? God-fearing people or a God-fearing home. We don't use that very much anymore, do we? Because we've got away from what it means to be in a God-fearing home. I'd like to thank my parents because I grew up in a God-fearing home. It wasn't an evangelical home as we would characterize our homes today particularly. My father was Methodist. My mom was Church of Christ. And we sort of jumped back and forth between the two, as I've mentioned before. But there was a sense in our home that God was to be feared. God was to be feared. I remember one time I was sitting down watching television, and it was a Western. And at some point on the television, they were praying a grace before, before the meal. And in the movie, one of the old wranglers gave the blessing and said, Thank thee, Lord, for these vittles. Amen. So, not too late, long after that, we were sitting down to have dinner. And we as children had been taught some rote prayers, you know, God is great, God is good, so forth, to give at the dinner table. And my dad turns and says, will you, you say the blessing tonight? So I said, thank you, Lord, for these vittles. Amen. And the next thing I hit is a bam. What in the world? I mean, it was a strong hit. And my dad doesn't normally do that. But in this case, wow, I got knocked right off my chair. Because my dad, and rightly so, wanted to teach me that we do not Speak to God in a disrespectful way. That God is to be feared. And that's not vittles and that type of language is not the way we talk in our day at our table. Being cutesy or funny when we're talking to our Creator God who has blessed us is not the way that you're to pray. I learned a valuable lesson. What is the fear of the Lord? And many people like to play with this a little bit and try to make it mean different things. But you know what the fear of the Lord is? It's exactly that. It's the fear of the Lord. Just as we expect our children to respect us and to fear our power and our willingness to discipline them if they do not obey us or our word, our children need to see that we respect God and fear His power and His willingness to discipline us as His children if we do not obey His word. It is also why it is important that parents need to be strong but loving disciplinarians. Because our children are learning what it means to fear God through fearing their parents. Too many parents today are working on being good buddies with their children, accepting every form of inappropriate behavior, laughing at things that they shouldn't be laughing at, instead of being a parent. 
we need to be disciplinarians. Not in a harsh way. In fact, in our home, we drew very few lines. I always felt like it's wrong for a parent to always say no to the child. Can I go outside and play? No. Can I go upstairs to my room and watch TV? No. Can I go do this? No. Can I ride my bicycle down to Johnny's house? No. It seemed like that that can be a problem. And it can exasperate children so that they begin either to disobey us and ignore us or they become frustrated to the point of being unable to function correctly and wisely in life, totally dependent on us to make all their decisions. We need to allow them a lot of freedom, I think. But when we draw a line, we need to stand up and, be, and defend the line. Our kids may whine and carry on. They know how to trigger every button in our life, and you and I know that. They can push all the buttons to get what they want. But we need to be smarter than they are and read what they're doing and say, when we say, no, don't cross this line, we enforce it. And if they do cross the line, we make sure they'll never want to cross it again. Whatever punishment it takes, we have to apply that. Never again did I say, thank you, Lord, for these vittles. Amen. The other night I was driving home and I made a turn to go up our, on Dana Sequoia just before you turn into Dana Fur. And these kids are coming down. It was pitch black. And all of a sudden my headlights hit this kid on a, on a uh, boogie board that he put on a skateboard and they were zooming down the hill at a good rate of speed. And had I not swerved, he'd have run into me. I got out of the car and I said, you know, I know that you're having fun, but this is not the right thing to do. I said, you could be hurt or even killed. And you need to be careful and not be out here doing this kind of thing, particularly at night. Well, they blew me off like, you old booger. I mean, get lost. You know, we do what we want. Well, good thing they weren't my kids. Unfortunately, add to this, we have all too often also been guilty of something else, and that is to convey, of conveying to our children an attitude that God is like a jolly old Santa up in the sky who is waiting to give us everything we want if we just say and do a few nice things that outweigh the naughty things that we've done. And then when you add this to our permissive atmosphere of many Christian homes, in which children are seldom corrected with any degree of force, it is no wonder that our children do not respect and fear us or our God. But God is not wanting to find out who is naughty and nice and then give them everything He wants, they want. In fact, when God looks over each, each generation on this earth, He doesn't find people that are living in ways that please him. In Psalm 14, we read this in the first three verses. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the beginning of wisdom is to acknowledge that there's a God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. 
They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the earth, upon the children of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And they've all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And then to make sure we get the point, that's in Psalm 14. He repeats the same words in Psalm 53. When God looks down on a generation, as he looks down on this generation, what he finds as he surveys the hearts and lives of the people, including the children, is not the fear of God. And there's only one thing that can make a child stand apart from the generation in which he or she is a part of. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The courage and the wisdom to stand apart as a young person in their generation and seek the true God comes from being taught to fear God. And when our children learn to fear the Lord, then God will move in mercy and grace to meet their deepest needs. In Psalm 103, we read these words, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is, is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place remembers no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. You see how critical fearing the Lord is? If we expect God's blessing, if we expect a degree of harmony and a relationship with God, it begins with the fear of the Lord. I cannot forget the words of Peter and, of course, the first Gentile to become a Christian was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And as Peter came to Cornelius' house, and this was unusual for a Jew to come and preach in the home, in the household of, a, of an unbelieving Gentile. But this man had requested that Peter come, and he was hungry to hear about the truth. And he was a God-fearing man even though he wasn't yet a Christian. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality between Jew and Gentile. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is welcome or accepted by him. In other words, fearing God is not going to get us to heaven. But it will certainly put us in the frame of mind where we will want to hear the message about how to get to heaven. We will want to hear John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's more than a banner to be hung at an NFL football game. That's a message. And the people that would want to hear that message are people who truly fear God. To the rest, it's simply fanaticism. The first inner quality or attitude of heart 
that we should pass on to our children is the fear, our fear of God. But the second one is our love for God. Our love for God. In the Psalm, verse 18, it says, I, or pardon me, Psalm 18, he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Love comes after fear because we can learn to fear what we do not understand. I fear of electricity. I don't understand electricity, but I don't want to get anywhere near electrical boxes. I don't want to climb up on telephone poles and play around with with wires. I fear electricity. I don't understand it, but I certainly can fear it. But love depends upon our understanding, at least in some measure, the one that we love. Most of us are familiar with the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. And this is the last part of the Hebrew Shema, which Orthodox and believing Jews confess today. And this is what we read. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's talking about the Word of God and the importance for a child of God in that day and age to teach that Word to their children. Now, probably no passage in Scripture speaks more pointedly to parents about the importance of the Word of God being taught in the home than that passage. But what is essential is we need to feel the full impact of that passage by going back and catching the beginning of the Shema, verses 4 and 5. Because it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall what? Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then it goes on and says, Teaching your children all these things. The reason we are to teach them about the Lord and His law is that they might learn to love Him as we love Him. If we want to impact our children for God, we must love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our life, and with all our strength. And the way we fall in love with God is through His Word. Over the years, I've known some of finest Christian families who've raised some of the finest children who really love the Lord, who have a heart for God. You can see it. And you wonder, what is it that worked for them? And invariably, I know if I've gotten close enough to the family, I can tell you that what was the focus of the family was the Word of God. When they went home after Sunday morning, they didn't have roast preacher. They talked about what the preacher talked about, the Word of God. They discussed perhaps things from the message that made some sense. They discussed what a Sunday school teacher had taught their children. They read their Bible at mealtimes. They read Bible stories at night when the children were young. They talked about the truths of the Scripture. In other words, they inculcated the teaching of the Word of God into the lives of their children. And the result was some wonderful children. 
The word love is used very seldom in the Bible, I mean in the Psalms. This is interesting. There are other words similar to it, mercy and pity and so forth. But the word love itself is used very few times in the Psalms, except in one Psalm. Psalm 119. That's the longest psalm in the Bible. If you're going through the Bible in a year, you know that's the one you get to at home. No, I've got three chapters to read. It's going to take me four days to read the one chapter. 176 verses. What's that psalm about? Psalm 119. What's it about? The theme is there. The Word of God. Every verse talks about the Word of God. And in over, what, 14 places it talks about the love of the, of the Word of God. Now, the word love does not normally occur in the Psalms, but it occurs there, I believe, 11 times, not 14. Let me just read a few of these. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yea, more than fine gold. And it goes on. Marvelous. Marvelous. Love for God goes hand in hand with love for his word. And the way to encourage love for God in our homes and in our lives is through a love and devotion to the word of God. That's how it happens. And that's one reason why we've put a lot of emphasis in our church on Awana. Because Awana is, is a support to the family. Our children in Awana are memorizing scripture. They're learning scripture, learning what it means. We as parents, when our children were going through Awana, we would bring them home. We would talk about what they were learning, the scriptures they were memorizing. And it gave a wonderful opportunity to use that for the advancement of what God is doing. Clearly, to love God, to have a heart for God is an attitude that we must to dedicate ourselves to passing on to our children. And if we're going to pass it on to our children, we're going to have to be committed to the Word of God. Someone has said that the best gift a father can give to his children is this, to love their mother. That's true. I would say it's the second best gift. The best gift he can give to his children or that mom can give to her children is to love the God who gave her or gave him those children. And friends, as we come to a baby dedication service, it's only as valuable as the parents are committed to loving God. Otherwise, it's meaningless. The third inner quality that we can pass on, that we are to pass on to our children, is an attitude that we are our heritage, that our children are a heritage from God. And this comes right out of Psalm 127, and we read in verses 3 and 4, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Heritage. What is heritage, anyhow? Well, the word heritage in the Hebrew is related or basically means an inheritance. It is actually referring to an assignment and a portion of land that would be assigned to a, an Israelite family, a Jewish family, that they could work and support themselves and contribute to their society. 
What God is saying here is that our children are our assignment. Our lot, our portion, if you will, that God has assigned to us to work for Him. God assigns just the right children. He doesn't waste children on parents. He knows what kind to send us. Our responsibility is to plant, that is, sow the seed of God's Word in their lives, and cultivate the soil of their lives, and then wait for God's harvest. Some of us as parents will struggle because the harvest seems to be a long time in coming. But it comes. As a rule of thumb, it will come. Sure, there is exceptions. But the Bible teaches that as a rule of thumb, it will come. Nothing in this world can bring greater joy. And And for that reason, he adds, children are the fruit of the womb, are his reward. Children aren't a curse. They're not a tragedy or an accident. They're God's gracious gift to us. In our culture today, we've somehow got the idea that it's some kind of a burden that we get dumped on us. And that, okay, we'll put up with one or two. But God is looking at it and saying, you know, it's a reward. The family with five or six, and we've got a couple in our church, are greatly blessed by the Lord. We should not see our our children as a burden. God does not give children to frustrate our life, but to add a dimension of fulfillment that we as parents could not otherwise experience. I would encourage you that the next birthday party you have for your child Don't just celebrate their birth. Celebrate the fact that God created them. He fashioned them. He brought them forth on their birthday and handed them to you and said, now I want you to work them for me. They're your assignment. We need to know well Psalm 139, and this is what we read. David is speaking about his own insight into this subject. And he says, For you formed my inward parts. You have woven me in my mother's womb. He's speaking here not only of his body, but of his personality, his temperament, his emotions. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my human life knows very well. My frame, my material substance was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, referring to even the dust that we originally came from. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. We need to respect the unique differences in temperament of each child. When we hold that baby in our arms, that's a, that's a responsibility. God formed that child, and he gave that child to us, and after birth he continues the process that was begun in the womb, only he's using us to do it. We're the hammer and chisel in His hand. We need to work with God, not against Him, helping our children to become what He wants. There's a, there's a mindset today that's troubling, and that is, these are mine, my children. I own them. And I'm going to make them after my own image. 
They're going to fulfill my dreams and my wishes and my goals in life. When in reality, we should be looking and saying, what are our children? What has is, what is God gifted them to do? One's a musician. One's a painter. One's an athlete. We develop wherever they are. I'll never forget my own son who was artistic. In fact, he's probably more artistic than anything, but he was also athletic. I recall when he went to Liberty University and he was going to try and get on the football team there. The coach asked him what his you know, interests were, and he says, art and football. Well, you know, that just didn't quite resonate with, with the coaches, but you know, he's unique. He can sit down and draw the funniest pictures of me preaching in the pulpit. It's, those were his notes while he was in church. And turn around and go out and catch a pass. And hit hard in football. That was his style. But another child may just as be content to sit there at that piano and play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. We need to be working with God, not against Him. The fourth quality that we need to pass on to our children is our gratitude to God. Psalm 92 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Thanksgiving. In a couple months we have a special a week that we celebrate Thanksgiving and then we forget about it for the rest of the year, yes. But that's not what we're talking about here. God isn't saying, I want you to, to give thanks to me on Thanksgiving. He's saying our Thanksgiving is to be an attitude of heart that is constantly bringing forth expressions of thanks and gratefulness. Friends, there's nothing more ingratiating than a grateful spirit. And there's far too little gratefulness today. I sense this is one of the most serious problems right now that we have as a nation. We're not grateful. Ask any parent how important it is to feel your children appreciate you and appreciate what you do for them. When you're younger, you don't expect much from them in the way of thanks. But as they get older, you hope and you long just to hear, Dad, thank you, or Mom, thank you. But there's one thing that will for sure hurt or hinder a grateful spirit in your child, and that's if you as a parent or me as a grandparent to be someday is not grateful. Gratitude is not just expressed at the dinner table when we say grace. It's best remembered during those moments when it is least expected. A group of children come to a party you put on. You go to a lot of trouble. One child comes and says afterwards, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Rutherford. It was such a nice time, and I really appreciate you inviting us. You think, why only one out of 15 children? Because in many cases, there's only one other set of parents that would have said the same thing. Thank you. We had a good time. Remember Jesus and the ten lepers? He heals ten lepers. They go on their way. They're cleansed according to what he's told them to do. Only one came back and said thank you. 
Psalm 107, we don't have time to read it, but it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Over and over again in all situations of life, read the psalm when you get a chance. It's a marvelous psalm. Coming off of what I heard Neil say last week, which was excellent, children had no status in the culture at the time of Jesus. I mean, they were low life. And then came Jesus. And he took a child, as Neil brought out, and set that child right in the middle of that group of people and said, if you want to know the kind of faith that you need to have in order to enter my kingdom, in order to go to heaven, you need the faith of a child. Uncomplex, simple, trust in me. But then he went on to say something else. He went on to make one of the most arresting statements ever made by our Lord Jesus Christ on his earth, on, when he was on this earth concerning the offending of the little children. Notice what he says. But whoever, in verses 8 to Matthew 18, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Matthew 18.10 Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then Luke 17, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck than he were thrown in, and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. So often we think of the offenses and stumbling blocks being thrown in front of our children as being things like drugs and sex and violence on television. Smoking and pornography and homosexuality and the media and other things that are opposed to family values in our culture. But often what is most destructive, and I'm not saying those things are not destructive, but most often what is most destructive and offensive to our children and which greatly hinders their life more than anything else, it's the great gulf between what we say we believe and the subjective attitudes that permeate our life and which negate what we believe in their eyes and in their mind. That's the true problem. We say we, we fear God and yet we lack respect for God and what He says to do. We're indifferent to God and His Word. And yet we say we love Him. We have a self-serving view of our family. We're not looking to cooperate with God. We're looking to get what we can from our children. We want them to succeed as we measure success. A willingness to get what we want, even when it may cost the lives and, and future of our children. A demanding of our own rights type of mindset. An arrogance that views our children as the products of our own efforts. And always looking and saying, you've got this and you've accomplished this because I did it for you. And then there's, of course... The sadness of broken homes. And I know that's, that even the Bible recognizes that in some cases divorce is inevitable. But on the other hand, it's sad. And particularly when one or both parties have an attitude that who cares about the kids? Oh, that's throwing that offense in front of our children. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around our neck and drowned in the sea 
than to go to that point of offending one of these little ones, Jesus said. There was a plainly dressed woman walking in an inner city and she was scuffling along in the, with her feet, had a long dress on and in the folds of her dress she would every so often she would reach down and she would pick something up off the ground and she would put it in the fold of her dress. And as she shuffled along there was a police officer that was watching and he was looking at her rather suspiciously like what's she up to? And again, she would reach down and she'd pick something up off the ground and she'd put it in the fold of her dress and she kept working at it and she'd pick something up. And finally, he says, there's something going on here. And so he goes over to her and he says, ma'am, what are you, what are you picking up? What is it you've got in your dress? And she wouldn't answer him for a moment. And then he kept after her and with a harsh voice, he says, show me what you have. What are you carrying in your dress? The timid woman finally opened up the fold in her dress that she'd made to hold a bunch of glass, broken glass. And she says, I thought I would just pick it up so that it wouldn't cut the children's feet. I thought I would just pick it up and take it out of the way so it wouldn't cut the children's feet. Oh, how we need people like this timid little woman who cared about what hurts the children's feet. Our Father, we pray that you would drive home the truth of your word into our hearts as parents and that we may indeed be parents committed to passing on to our children our fear of you, our love for you, our heritage from you, and our gratitude to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like the parents to go ahead and get their children at this time. And uh, families and parents, come on down here and sit in the front pews, if you will, with your children in arms. And uh, if anyone needs to leave uh, for uh, other reasons, you may feel free to graciously and quietly pass off or
still waiting for one, so. just uh, take a moment to explain what a baby dedication is. It's not necessarily all babies. We have, we've dedicated children, younger children as well. The point is not the age of the child. It's not the age of the parents. It's not the fact that there's something that is miraculously going on here that, uh, that we're going to apply something that will uh, somehow save the child and grant them eternal life that they might go to heaven. That's not the case. A dedication is just that. It's taken from First and Second Samuel, uh, from the first two chapters of Samuel, uh, the first book, and uh, in which Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord. And there's a sense in her heart as you study her life that she was a woman of God who feared God above all else and loved God as well deeply from her heart, and she wanted her first son to be a son devoted to the Lord in some way. And I think the spirit is what we're trying to capture in the dedication service, and that is that as a parent comes to dedicate their child, they're saying, you know, this child doesn't belong to me. This child belongs to the Lord. And I see that, we see that, mom and dad, grandparents see that, this is God's child, and we want to see this child become all that God wants this child to become. And we're here to be his instrument for a period of time shaping that life. And so that's what this dedication, it's a dedication of the parents as well as a presentation of the child to the Lord in the sense that we're recognizing in a, in a visible uh, way that draws in the whole congregation and we're a church family so that we should be praying for these parents. It draws us all into the thought that this child is a, is a gift from God to these parents and to this church. And so we're very pleased to be able to take part and have this special celebration. So at this time, I'm going to begin with uh, Camille and uh, Seth Carson. And uh, so we're going to have Camille and Seth come up here. They're the children of Brian and Janelle Carson, who are also the daughter and son-in-law of Ray and Colleen Varela, who are very active in our church. Ray and Colleen coming up here too, I would hope. Jennifer, you going to join us? All right, good. Okay. I'm going to have to try and pick everything up here on the mic. Come on up. Brian's parents are there. Okay. Where's Brian's parents? Are they here? Yeah. They want to come on up here? Okay. Marianne and Greg, okay. And Don and Angie, come on up. Oh, thanks so much, Clua. Appreciate that. 
Okay. What we're going to do here is I'm going to hand this to you, and let me take. This is Camille, right? Yeah. All right. Oh, what a little bundle. How old is she now? Five weeks. Five weeks. Wow. That's pretty pretty young. Hi, Camille. Boy, I like them this way, you know. Nice. Don't yell or scream too much. That's good. All right. That's great. Um, let me ask you just a question, then we'll go around. Why don't you, first of all, just introduce your family there real quickly. This is my mother, Colleen, and my father, Ray, my sister, Jennifer, my brother, Jonathan, and his wife, Katie. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Great family. Nice to have your family with us, too, Brian. I've called over there at your home several times trying to get a hold of me and staying with you. That was good. They just moved back from, what is it, Arizona? Uh, no, we're in Texas. Texas. Texas, that's right. Right. Good. So, well, let me ask you a question. Why did you name Camille and Seth? We just like the name. Just like the names, yeah. all right. We like Seth as a biblical name. We like that. So we okay. just like the way it goes down. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. A pleasant a pleasant name, that's for sure, Camille. All right. And let me just ask you, is there some things that you'd like to see particularly developed in Camille's life as she grows up and as Seth grows up? I think um, patience is always a good one. Patience. <laughs> just and love, you know, for the Lord. For both of them, and we were talking about we would like to see that they'd have like a heart for people, you know, just to be easily just to love everyone. You know, some people just that's a hard thing to do. It really is, you know, and a lot of people miss that. You know, we usually always want to see them have a heart for God, but they need to have a heart for people because Jesus had a heart for people. Well, let's uh, just take a moment and pray together, shall we? And a special time. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for Brian and Janelle and for their family, for the love and devotion, for the heritage that they have of a, of a godly Christian home. And we pray for Camille and Seth that not only would they have a heart for you, as important, all important as that is, but Father, we also pray, as they have requested, that you would give them a heart for people, a love for people. And that you might use them in a powerful way to minister to people on behalf of their God. And we pray, Father, they would grow to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to early in their life believe in him, trust him for their eternal salvation. And we again just commit them to you, Lord. They're your children. And we pray you'd use Brian and Janelle and all the family in a mighty way to shape them into the children you want them to be. In Jesus' name. Bless you both. Oops. Got her. Let me give you this. There they are. Come on. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for coming up. We'll be coming up again here in a minute. I believe Neil's trying to get some pictures here for everybody, so that'll be good. All right, the next one, you get to come right back up here <laughs> for 
Nathan, Nathaniel, I should say, Varela. So let's get everybody on back up here for the next round. So, and Nathaniel is the son, the first child of Katie and John, and so we were excited about that. And uh, John leads our, uh, is one of the key leaders over there in our sound booth, and uh, he's catching those things. And Katie was our secretary at one time, but she also is uh, involved as uh, our in our music program in a powerful way and uh, has a great voice and a great ability to play the flute. And we just enjoyed this family. And, of course, we've introduced everybody so far. So except for Meg, you want to go ahead and introduce this your mom? my mom, Meg, who is in from Virginia. And it was really nice to have you come visit with us today. It's a special day. That's great. Well, I mean, uh, old Nathaniel's getting bigger now. Man. He's, he's going to be a honk here. Yeah. That's good. You know, I was born with a 36-inch waist. <laughs> but you, you're not quite there yet. Yet. You're a strong one, though. I can tell that. Well, tell me, why did you uh, name him Nathaniel? That's a, a good biblical. Yeah, you know? one of the apostles. Right. Uh, yeah, we. I think we were both. We, we both wanted a biblical name, and uh, a lot of it was was after my best friend, who's Nathan, and his nickname is Nate. Yeah. And uh, he was just a real influential person in my life, and and a uh, very godly man, and uh, we, we liked the nickname Nate, and. and but uh, we that figured we'd name him Nathaniel instead of Nathan. Yeah, and, uh, but you are going to call him Nate. We're going to call him Nate. Yeah. yeah. Right. Hey, Nate. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the main reason why we chose that name. Okay. Well, let me ask you, uh, what are some of the qualities you'd like to see developed in his life? My favorite will be obedience, if he's very obedient. <laughs> <laughs> I also hope that he is... Honest and hardworking like his dad. Honest, hardworking, and obedient. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I really desire him to follow in the footsteps of uh, my grandfather, both of my grandfathers, actually, uh, who were uh, godly men who loved the Lord, and then my father, and uh, who also is a very godly man and loves the Lord. And that just that's what I desire, that heritage that's there, that uh, he, too, grows up with a strong knowledge of the Word of God and in turn takes that and uh, trusts in the Word for eternal life. So that's, that's what I desire. Anybody else in the family like to say a word? That's good. Well, Nathan, why don't we, uh, Nate, let's have a word of prayer and pray for you that you'll turn out just like mom and dad would like. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you again just thankful for, again, a a heritage of a godly family. And we do pray that as John made so clear that uh, Nate would follow in, the, in, the, in, the, in that heritage and that he would be a man that would love you and that would have a heart for you in all that he does. And we pray, as Katie requested, Lord, that, that Nate would also be a, an obedient son, a son who's hardworking and industrious and that, who would be honest and have integrity. We pray, Father, that uh, Nate might grow up to be a man of God in the strongest sense of that term. And again, we just commit him to you and these parents to you and this family to you and ask you to richly bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.
care of you here. Okay. Thank you, Meg. Good to see you here. Great. Okay, next we have Kristen Wellborn. There we are. And Kristen is the daughter of Tom and Kelly. And uh, this is a very special couple in our church. Uh, they were very active in our church back in, what was it, about 2000, 2001, 2002? And at that time, you were a captain in the, uh, in the uh, Marines. And then you got transferred over to Yuma. And then they came back here just recently. And uh, we're living down in Oceanside. And we were sort of heartbroken because we thought, well, they wouldn't want to make that drive to come up here. But they decided they'd make that drive. And what a blessing to us to have you both He's now a major, I think, in the uh, in the uh, Marines and in the artillery. And I think you're planning to maybe go to Iraq in, yeah. in uh, January. So that's certainly a, a, a need for prayer. But what a blessing to have this this couple. They're just such fine people. We we just really rejoice at, uh, at how God's worked in their life. Well, let me just take uh, Kristen here. Kristen, you're a wonderful girl. Yeah, you look a lot like mom and dad. You gonna let you gonna let me hold you? Okay. Come on now, Chris. How about if I get over here close? All right. What would you like to see? Or let me ask you first. Why did you name it Kristen? Kristen Ann, that's a pretty name, and uh, has a lot of meaning. But what are some of the qualities you'd like to see developed in her life in a particular way? One of the, the things, one of the sermons a couple of weeks ago, we talked about maturity, and uh, that she would grow up to be a mature, godly woman or, or of character, and that Corasso, that etching on her life. That's a <laughs> oh, what did I do something wrong? No, she just. But uh, just that uh, God would use her in, in a mighty way. Maybe not quite an Elizabeth Elliot or a, a Tori Tim Boone, but just a, a well, godly woman. Maybe more so. You never know. So, How about you, Kelly? Would you like to? Well, just quickly, I think we had kind of basically talked about it. Um, I mean, basically just pray that she would be a godly woman that would serve the Lord and be willing to serve us for more. Okay. That's neat. Kristen, we're going to pray for you and for your family. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this special family. We thank you brought them back to our church. We pray, Father, for both of them as parents, for Kelly and Tom, that, that you might strengthen their home and help them to uh, contribute uh, what is needed for Kristen to truly develop that heart for God. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant them their, their request, is that she would be a, a woman of God, mature in her faith, able to uh, be useful to you in ways beyond uh, our wildest imagination. And we just pray, Father, for your richest blessing upon them. Pray for Tom as he anticipates going to Iraq. We pray you'd watch over him and keep him safe and keep this family safe. And we pray and thank you again for their involvement in our church and your blessings upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Yeah. Here. 
more trouble remembering mics, turning on buttons. So we have one more wonderful couple, Rebecca Vreeland and the daughter of Jens and Heather. And so we'll have them come on up and along with Bob and Ruth, grandparents, and get uh, Jens's family. I see his come. That's great. Let's get all the family on up here. It's wonderful to have that kind of heritage that you see in some of the larger families in our church where there's grandparents and parents and even occasionally we get great-grandparents up here that, that really uh, stand for uh, a long line of commitment to, to spiritual principles and to being a man or woman of God, which we like to see. So that's so, so, so neat. Well, let me ask you, are you going to... You, you can let me, you I can, recommend holding her upright. All right, hold upright. Yep. That's the instructions, upright. Okay, good we'll luck. see how long we go. Okay, Thanks. you never know. I didn't do too good in the last one, but two before that were great. All right, well, why did you uh, choose the name? Well, we pretty much exhausted the only name that we agreed on with Elizabeth, and so then we had to search and search and search and search and search for the next name. And the only one that we could agree on was Rebecca, and we were happy because it was a biblical name, which is something that we wanted. And um, we chose Lily for her middle name because um, it talks about uh, biblically consider the lilies of the field um, and how God cares for them. And it just it's one of those things that we both love flowers and gardening and it just it just kind of fit. So. That's neat. Rebecca Lily. Now, will you name her like Becky or is that what you Becca? Becca. That's right. If, if, we, I remember you know, if we call her short, we'll call her Becca. Right. Yeah. Becca is going to be short. OK. So let me ask you again. Yes, thank you. Oh, sorry. Why don't you go ahead and introduce <laughs> your family there. I'll let Jens do that, uh, that honor. Uh, I appreciate that, Ruth. Over in the far corner, that's my brother and sister-in-law, uh, Brent and Sandy Deaver, and their children, Brenna and Abby. And there's my brother and his fiance. Uh, my brother's name is Lars, and his fiance's name is Barbara. And I got my dad, John, and my mom, Ursula, and then my father and mother-in-law, Bob and uh, Ruth Welch. <laughs> And of course, this is Ellie. <laughs> oh. she's yeah, I better give her back to you. Isn't that nice? It's, you know, parents, you just sort of hand back. When when we dedicated our daughter, she cried like that all the way through. And I couldn't get her to change, you know, and it was, I couldn't hand her to anybody else. <laughs> uh, what a great family and uh, let me just ask you what are some qualities that you'd like to see developed in Rebecca's life thank you <laughs> well when when we chose the name we looked up in the Bible to see kind of what the story behind Rebecca was and the first picture of Rebecca that's revealed in Genesis is um, a servant comes up uh, and she offers to give him water from the water that she's just pulled from the well as well as water his camels and his horses and and um, she really was acting like a servant to him. And so um, one of the qualities I'd like to see in her is, is a servant's heart and a humbleness. And she's so far, not this morning, but um, usually she is very gentle and she's very sweet. And um, I'd like to see that, those qualities really developed in her. Mm, that's neat. Humble servant. How about you, Jens? Um, just that uh, she would grow up to love the Lord and to have a kind, gentle spirit like her older sister does. 
and just uh, to obey. I mean, just to. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Obedient children. That's a, a blessing. Okay, that's great. Emmy, how about the rest of the family? Would you like to contribute anything there along the way? Anybody? Not from my standpoint. I think everything that said was what I wanted to do. All right. Yes. She goes to Awana. That's right. All right. That's right. Yeah. Little plug. <laughs> Little plug there, huh? That's right. right. Okay. Go on, on down and join Awana. That's great. Sandy is. Okay, that's great. Faith at an early age. Well, let's all pray, shall we? Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this this wonderful family with a strong biblical heritage. We thank you for the way that you have uh, provided for them such wonderful uh, children. We thank you for Elizabeth and how she's growing into being a, a child that loves you. And we pray, Father, for Rebecca, that Father, you would grant her parents desire that she would uh, grow to have a humble spirit and a desire to be a servant and to serve people and we do pray father that uh, she would come to believe in you at an early age and to uh, be a, a young woman who will grow strong in her faith and will walk as a woman of god and again we lord we just commit them both to you and commit the parents to you and we pray for Jens and Heather, that uh, you would strengthen their faith and their home and help them to continue to be a witness in this community. And again, we thank you for their love and for their love for their children, their love for this church, for their love for you. And we just pray that you would bless them richly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Okay, at this time, we're going to, uh, Jens and, and uh, Heather, if you want to just stay up here, and we're going to ask the other parents to come up and join them here on the front steps, and we're going to uh, have them uh, ascent to the vows. Just as a little word of uh, encouragement, we gave to the parents the vows that, uh, that we ask on Sunday, ask them to think about them, uh, that we will be sharing these vows, and at this time, uh, the the opportunity here is just in a public way to assent to what we've written here. And uh, at the same time, our congregation needs to be thinking and praying for these families. And this is a wonderful time for us to recognize that the family is a great riches to our church. Parents, do you recognize that you and your child belong to the Lord and that he has the sovereign right to rule your lives together? Do you desire to dedicate your child to the Lord for his use, unhindered by your own personal ambitions? Do you commit yourselves to teach and lovingly discipline your child to fear the Lord, that is, to consider the Lord above all else and honor him first in all things? And fourth, knowing that, you're, that the first picture of Christ that your child will ever be able to understand is the one that will be mirrored in your own lives, Will you endeavor to so walk before your child that you will be able to say at any time, follow me as I follow Christ? Thank you. We know those are vows that we make in anticipation of being able to give everything we can to fulfill them. But we also recognize that ultimately it's God that must work in all of our lives. And so I invite all the congregation to join me at this time in a word of prayer for all these couples and families.
Again, Lord, we just thank you for a special time together. We know to make such a vow is an awesome, awesome responsibility. And yet, Lord, we know that these parents are not left to themselves to make good on their vow. That you've promised your Holy Spirit who lives and abides in each one of their lives who will indeed help them to fulfill their vow and to do all that humanly they can to raise that child, their child, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That their child may grow to fear the Lord, love the Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you would work in a mighty way in each one of their homes. They have dreams for their children that you, we trust, have given to them to see their children become obedient, to see their children grow to have a heart for you, a love for people. So many things, Lord, and we just pray that you would grant them the wishes of their heart and that these children might go on to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we commit them and the parents to, to them, all of this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Will you stand and take out your hymnals, please? This is a great, great song we like to close with. The Family Prayer Song at 454. 454, please. <laughs> 